Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. I am an outsider. I am an outsider. I am an outsider. I am not a Christian. And I don't go to church anywhere. And I'm just going to put this out there as a starting point for conversation. I want to be truthful without being offensive. And I just need to say it. When I look at Christianity. When I look at Christianity. When I look at Christianity these days. Sometimes it's really hard to see Jesus. And I just wish it was different. Honestly, I wish a lot of things were different when it comes to how you view me. I wish you didn't look at me like I was a potential convert. I I hate that. It makes me feel like I'm a notch or a number or an accomplishment. It makes me feel like you don't value me as a person at all. And the thing is, I want to see Jesus. Show me Jesus, but let me decide about it. I wish you'd stop calling me a non-believer. When you say that, it's like you're saying I have no beliefs at all. That's not true. I have a deep set of religious beliefs. Just because they're different from yours, that doesn't make me a non-believer. I wish I wasn't on the opposite side of a political agenda in your eyes. I'm not a political cause, I am not right-wing, and I probably never will be. Please, don't judge me negatively for that. I have my reasons. You hold me to a Christian standard, but you've forgotten something very simple. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Christian. Yet you hold me to a Christian standard, and you judge me every time I don't live up to it. It seems a little unfair. It seems like something Jesus would never do. I'm a real person. I have a real heart. And I'm full of real questions. So can you please just love me? Love me? Can you please just... Love me. All right. Howdy, everybody. Welcome to my backyard. This is the Backyard Gospel. Uh, I'm Pastor Tim. want to welcome you to Liquid. And uh, this really is a series about uh, sharing our faith with our neighbors and our friends in a way that isn't weird, uh, but is natural. As normal as sharing a burger or a drink at, you know, a backyard barbecue. Speaking of which, we need to welcome our neighbors, many of our brothers and sisters, to the picnic those of us joining us uh, in New Brunswick and Nutley, can we say hello to these guys? Glad you guys are with us. Great to have you. You're part of our family. Thrilled you're here. Backyard Gospel. And here's the deal. This is really a series about evangelism, which is a kind of a loaded word, okay? Can we just acknowledge that? I don't know what that image conjures in your head, evangelism or an evangelist. For a lot of people, they think of televangelists, like guys with big hair who steal money and, you know, they plan people's emotions. I think they think, you know, high-pressure sales tactics about arm-twisting, bait-and-switch. I was at the Yankee game uh, yesterday. I'm walking into the stadium, and there's people, you know, selling hot dogs and peanuts, and, and a guy has a microphone, and he's going, repent, turn or burn, take the free gift of salvation now. And everyone's just walking past me like, I think I'm just going to get a hot dog. You know, it, like that's how people think of evangelism. It's a very cliche kind of thing. Like there's going to be an altar call. Or I have to hand out a tract or preach at somebody. And that's what's crazy is that the good news of the gospel often sounds like bad news to unchurched people. 
The good news, that's what the word gospel means, by the way. In the ancient world, we learned this, the gospel actually wasn't a, um, a religious word. It was just it, it, the good news. An evangelist was anybody who shared any sort of good news that people, when they heard it, went, woo, that is awesome. But nowadays, people have come to dread evangelism. For many Christians, sharing your faith feels like a frustrating experience. A lot of us have the best of intentions. If we're honest, a lot of times we sound like jerks for Jesus, okay? We, we turn the good news into an elevator pitch. I grew up in a church where we were actually trained that the first thing you want to do if you meet somebody who's a non-Christian is to ask them a question. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you would spend eternity in heaven forever, heaven or hell? Try that outside of Yankee Stadium, okay? Because it's like, are you threatening me? Like, this is weird, you know, kind of thing. Um, you know, cross the line of faith, make a decision for Jesus. No, thanks. Even the language that we tend to use at times can be a turnoff. Notice how often we call people who don't share the Christian faith non-believers. The reality is everybody believes in something. Even atheists have a core set of beliefs, or we call them the lost. What if they don't actually feel lost? Or God wants you to be a soul winner. Wait a minute. If I'm a winner, what does that make you, right? A loser. It's kind of, this is a polarizing language. And so we kind of wonder why Christians have a reputation for being pushy and tone deaf. At outreaches, I've actually had people Tell me, I said, uh, Pastor Lucas, your church can serve our city as long as none of your people try to evangelize or convert anybody, as if we're going to, like, wrestle them to the ground, take Jesus now, you know, kind of thing. Like, why would anyone want to be a Christian when we make it so awkward and uncomfortable at times? Well, here's the good news. This is not a series to make you feel guilty for not sharing your faith. It's not a series about bashing non-believers. Rather, the good news is, no matter what negative experience you may have had with evangelism, It doesn't have to be like that. As Pastor Tom showed last week, sharing your faith with your neighbors this summer can be as natural as, you know, popping a cold one and saying, hmm, want a drink? Like Jesus did with the woman at the well. See, according to Jesus, evangelism is supposed to be natural, not forced or scripted. It's supposed to be organic, not mechanical. It's not about having cookie-cutter conversations with people and telling them what they need to believe, but rather it often begins with listening, listening to their story, asking questions that go deeper, and then recognizing where God is already at work in their life. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Take your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 4, all our campuses on page 702, and Jesus here tells a story about this organic process of evangelism and how it kind of works. It's called the parable of the growing seed. And here's, let me make a quick disclaimer. If you are here today, you're visiting, you're not a Christian. If you're here and you're not a Christian today, this is awesome because you're going to get, you're going to get to eavesdrop in on a family picnic. Okay. It's like, you're going to kind of lean in and hear, what do the Christians really talk about and how they talk about people who don't share their, their beliefs. Let me tell you, if you're a non-Christian, why we're doing this. We often suck talking about our faith. Okay. <laughs> No, I'm not being honest. I do. I do a ton. And here's why. Because our faith's actually really important to us. Like, it's a big deal for us. The God thing, like, is very real for us. But what happens is, is we get very anxious about it, and we kind of, like, start acting weird. And then we think, i got to say something about Jesus. So have you received the righteousness of... And then we start getting weird. <laughs> we're, we're terrible at this at times. So then we don't say anything at all, okay? Here's the deal. This is not a seminar on how to convert people, Okay. This is for followers of Jesus. We're trying to learn how to share our faith without being all religious and preachy, okay? So if you're not a Christian, I am glad you are here this morning because this isn't aimed at you, but you're going to get to lean in 
and see transparency in how our family kind of operates. So let's do this. Let's look at what Jesus taught here in Mark chapter 4. He said this. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. We'll stop there. It's a very simple story. Jesus loved to tell stories. He calls them parables. And here he gives us a picture of how organic evangelism is supposed to look like. And if you'll notice, the first thing he does is he uses something very natural, seeds. So let's look at our little barbecue today. Let's see what we got here. Any nat- <laughs> this is not natural. We got uh, Pringles. Uh, oh, this is definitely not natural. Can we just call this out, by the way? Where do you get this? Ketchup-flavored potato chips. That's a good times. No, that's, uh, this is getting closer. Tra- we got trail mix here. And uh, okay, here we go. This is what we're looking for. Sunflower seeds. You like seeds? Anybody like seeds? Allow me some seeds. Where are you? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. You are about to have a great day, kiddo. That is awesome, man. Woo! Jesus tells a story about a guy who scatters seeds. Yeah, wake up. You ever scatter, you ever, you ever seed your lawn? You know how that works? You don't go like this. You know, I'm going to seed my lawn. You, you fling seeds, right? You scatter them. Yeah, it's going to be that kind of service. You fling it all over. Because your hope is that some of it is actually going to land in good soil. You know some of it's going to go in the driveway. The birds are going to eat it. And here at Mark 4, Jesus talks about seeds because he wants to give these two big ideas about organic evangelism. And the first thing is he says, do you know what? The path to faith is mysterious. You You see that? Look at verse 27. He says, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. In other words, There is no script for evangelism. There's no magic formula to follow to get your friends to cross the line of faith. Each one has their own unique way of growing. Uh, This year, I've had the privilege of having five new friends put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior over the last 18 months. And every single one has a different uh, God story. They followed a different path. I think of David, Jewish man who was considering what it means to be a follower of Christ. He actually began reading C.S. Lewis over the last year. And, uh, and then he read the New Testament this past uh, this spring, and he became a, a follower of Christ on uh, Easter. I think of Linda. I, my, you, you've met Linda. I've told you her story. Waitress at our diner who was it? Oh, woo, Linda. Sorry, I'm going to stop pointing you out, Linda. I know. You're like, stop picking on me, Lucas. All right, I get it. I get it. But she was introduced to Jesus by her customers, and now she's part of our family, right? Like she's been here for, for our whole lives. Uh, Kevin, little boy, 10 years old, he was one of the 50 kids who stood up at Camp Rock and said, I'm making Jesus my forever friend. Totally different story. And then I think of Julie. She's an urban, single mom, multiple kids, actually was really kind of struggling until some of you, our church, went out to serve in her neighborhood. And she said, why are you serving me? And we're like, because Jesus loves you and we love you and came and visited and everything. And now she joined one of our, our campuses and now she came to become a follower of Christ, serves many of you. That very cool story. In all five of those cases, there was no magic pill or secret formula for them coming to faith in Christ. Everyone has a unique, one-of-a-kind God story of how they came to put their trust in Jesus. So evangelism, Jesus says, is mysterious. It's a supernatural process in which you and I partner with the Holy Spirit to point people to Christ. We don't understand everything that happens, but notice we have a role to play. What's our role? to pop some seeds wherever we go. We're supposed to pepper our conversations with good news 
about the difference that Jesus is making in our lives. So guess what? When you scatter seeds, like talk about faith in a natural way, you know what happens? People respond naturally. Big idea number two, according to Jesus. The path to faith, notice Jesus says, is organic. Now, it's very interesting. If you go to Whole Foods, you know how they'll say like 100% organic. What do they mean by that, right? Like, okay, 100% organic free, you know, uh, you know kind of thing. When they say it, it's organic, what it means is it's not fake. It's not manufactured, right? It's not artificial. In other words, evangelism shouldn't be fake or artificial or forced. It should be very organic, and that's how Jesus describes it. Would you look at verse 28? Look what he says. This is so interesting. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Notice something. In Jesus' story, there are five distinct stages of growth. You see them, the seed, the stalk, the head, the kernel, the ripe grain. And basically, Jesus is saying, evangelism is not a one-time event. That's what I used to think. Evangelism is, you got to say these words, you got to pray this prayer, and voila, new Christian. Like, like it just happens. No relationship happens like that. Can I, can I ask you to think about your relationships, your friends, okay? Think about it. What was the date that you became friends with Phil? Like, what are you talking about? I don't know. We, we met, what was it, like nine years ago or something? We had something in common, and we went out for coffee, I think, afterwards. And, you know, I got to know him. He shared his story. We had things in common, but we actually had things not in common, so we shared our backgrounds, our feelings. Got, you build trust. You build rapport. That's how any relationship works in the physical world. Same in the spiritual, Jesus says. If the goal is for people to have a relationship with God, to love Christ and commit their life to him, it's an organic, natural process that takes time, stages of growth. And it's a lot more natural than you and I think. I recently read a great little book entitled, I Once Was Lost, What Postmodern Skeptics Taught Us About Their Path to Jesus. And the author is listening to th- stories about 2,000 people, uh, mostly university students, who had nothing to do with Christ at one point, but then came to actually put their faith in him as their Lord and Savior. Fascinating book. Great recommendation. You can read it in two hours by the pool, all right? And it really captures this idea that evangelism, biblically, is organic. And while everyone has a different story, most non-Christians pass through five stages of growth that they call thresholds. It's just like Jesus' story, the seed, the stalk, the head, the kernel, the ripe grain. If you're taking notes, I put these in your notes. The first threshold that most non-Christians cross in their journey to faith is from distrusting Christians to actually trusting a Christian. In other words, somewhere along the line, most people who come to faith, if they've had a negative experience, and they're like, all Christians are, you know, crazy, that's not for me, they're, they're right-wing, you know, at some point, typically, they meet one Christian who they finally decide, maybe they're not all wackadoodles. <laughs> He's actually fairly normal, okay? This is strange, this is very different than what I've been seeing on CNN um, this is different than those other people who, that's the number one threshold that most people cross, and it happened with my wife, uh, Colleen. We have a mutual friend who for years thought Christianity was for the birds. That was the family she was raised in. They're like Christians. They, they're totally judgmental. They use religion like a crutch. She was very inoculated against it. But then she met my wife, very cool lady. You want, don't want to meet me, you want to meet my wife, all right? They became friends. They started taking walks together. They go to Starbucks, whatever. They, and, and she trusted her. It just makes sense that that's how friendships develop. Think about your story of coming to faith in Christ. You probably first 
got to know somebody who was already following Jesus. That's the first threshold. The second one is when non-Christians move from complacent to curious. They poke their head up and start asking questions about Jesus himself. In other words, instead of being apathetic about spiritual matters, oh, so you go to church? Oh, okay, whatever, cool. That's it. They actually engage with the message of Jesus. That happened to my wife's friend um, during the 40-day Bible campaign. She actually said, you know, I've actually never read the New Testament before. And the way you talk about Jesus sounds different. She starts reading it for herself. And she started going online and Googling questions about what she read, which can be dangerous. And, uh, and so she, but, you know, we directed her to commentary online. So she's starting to engage. She's curious now. Now, the third threshold that most non-Christians cross on their journey to faith is from closed to open to change. And this is the hardest threshold to cross. Because our friend started asking questions about Jesus. She was curious, but actually wasn't open about applying this in any personal way to her personal life. That's kind of off limits at this point. It is for a lot of people who are kind of kicking the tires of Christianity. If that's you here today, that's awesome. We are thrilled you're here. Again, just lean in because we're just talking about how this organically has happened to some of us. But earlier in Mark 4, Jesus talks about a guy who scattered some seed among thorns. And he says, at first it grows, but then watch what he says. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of what? Wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. In other words, Jesus says, you can plant seeds and people may start asking questions and stuff, but understand something. At some point, the stresses of their life, the anxieties, the internal fears what will my family think if I became a wackadoodle? I don't know. This would be very strange. What would it mean for my work? I don't want to be a missionary to Africa. All those worries start pressing in. And then watch. This is interesting what Jesus says. The deceitfulness of what? Wealth. Fascinating. If people are affluent or well-off, it's typically an obstacle of faith. It's why Jesus said, you know, it's really hard for rich people to get into heaven. Why? God doesn't like rich people. No, he doesn't say that. He says, because with, with people who are affluent or comfortable, maybe that's you, typically there's no burning platform or crisis or need in their life that money can't solve in some way. So, so the seed could get planted, but a lot of times it's unfruitful because rich people don't often see like, oh yeah, I think I have a real need for religion right now. That's just not in their radar. But that seed's planted and it germinates. There's a stalk, there's a, there's a head, a kernel, and then threshold number four, from meandering to seeking answers. In other words, most non-believers don't want to come to conclusions right away. It's kind of when you go uh, to the mall or something, you walk in the store and guy's like, oh, can I help you find something your size? And you're like, no, 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 thanks. I'm not here buying anything today. I'm just browsing, right? And that's how a lot of people are. They meander. They look online about stuff. I may attend church with you, but they're not seeking answers to the big questions of life. And a lot of times that threshold only happens when somebody actually says, you know what? I do have a question. I'd like to know if your God is so loving, why did he let my nine-year-old sister die of leukemia? I would like to know the answer to that. And actually, where is she right now? Because if she didn't believe in Jesus, are you saying she's in hell right now? When people start asking the big questions about the truth of who God is, about what eternity means, that lays the groundwork for the ripe grain that Jesus talks about when a soul is ready for harvest to cross from the threshold of this world to the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus called it, the kingdom of God. This is when you're born again into God's family and you live in this new reality with the Holy Spirit in your heart. You realize the gospel is good news for you. This thing has a personal application. 
I actually have moved from distrust to trusting, not just a Christian, but I think I'm trusting Christ who died for me. And you know what? I'm changing my mind. It means repent. You have this change of heart. You say, I thought my whole life was all about me and getting my needs met. It's really God's story, and I actually get to serve him. So I'm going to trade my little story for God's better story and enter the kingdom of God. That's when you have a new Christian, a born-again experience, a baby Christian. It's harvest time. A soul gets, gets reaped for the kingdom. And guys, that's what we pray for at Liquid. That's why we do what we do. My prayer every Sunday is that, like, I'm going to preach, I'm going to share God's word, I can't force anything, but I'm going to scatter seeds, and I'm praying that the gospel will take root, and you know what? In the soil of some of you, the harvest produces fruit. Jesus said, others, like seeds sown on good soil, they hear the word, they accept it. This is for me. And they produce a crop. Let's read this together. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. See, some of the best evangelists are brand new Christians who are babies in the faith. They don't have the answers to all the theological questions, but it's because it's fresh to them. It's not stale. It's it's, it's organic. They naturally want to tell others about their faith in Christ. You saw this last week with the Samaritan woman at the well, right? Pastor Tom kind of unpacked that for us. Think of the stages that woman went through with Jesus, right? At first, there was a lot of distrust. Why is a Jew talking to a Samaritan? Whoa, back off. I'm distrustful. Then, hey, that's pretty good. It's a hot day, yeah? Hmm. You want a drink? Where can I get this uh, water you're talking about? Curious. Open to change. Hey, how's it going with your boyfriend? Yeah, actually, I've had uh, five, <clears throat> five, uh, five husbands, so uh, any suggestions, I'm open. Mm. <laughs> to seeking, you know, and I know the Messiah is coming, but I don't really know who God is. I'm asking who is God, and Jesus reveals the kingdom. I who speak to you am he. And she puts her faith in Christ. Now, here's the interesting thing. Did you see the impact her conversion had on others? In John 4, 39, look what the scriptures say. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And because of his word, say this together, many more became believers. The ripple effect. Because of the conversion of one woman, a bunch of her neighbors become Christians as well. So understand, when you scatter seeds at work, when you scatter seeds on campus, when you scatter seeds with your neighbor at the gym over coffee, you think, you look at this little thing and you think, man, this is just like a tiny little small thing. No! Jesus says, that's how the kingdom grows. Only the Holy Spirit breaks the hard soil around somebody's heart, but you never know where this one small conversation leads to a larger conversion an exponential harvest, 30, 60, 100 times what you have sown. Now, here's what I want you to do. Take one second. I want you to think about how this looks in your personal life. Because last Sunday, Pastor Tom challenged you to write the name of one person that God has put in your backyard, your little local area of influence. Who could you share your faith with this summer? Do you remember that name? How'd it go? Yeah, I got it, I got it. My guess is about 20% of you probably did anything about it. And again, no guilt trip here, okay? This is just reality. We all live busy lives. It's New Jersey. I get it. I want to make this very simple for you. So you can plant a seed this summer and perhaps, with God's help, see a harvest this fall. Notice that the first stage of growth is them actually just trusting you as a follower of Jesus. That is no small thing. The authors of I Once Was Lost wrote this. In another day, in age, God, religion, and church, 
enjoyed the general respect of the culture. Not today. Religion is suspect, church is weird, and Christians are hypocrites. Distrust has become the norm. People are tired of the sales tactics often employed by Christians and are offended by our bait-and-switch attempts at introducing them to Jesus. Ah, it's actually true. In fact, I can think of four friends in my life right now who this is true of. Steve, my gay hairstylist who does not trust Christians because he was told by one he's going to hell. A professor told my friend Ricky that the Bible can't be trusted. There's historical inaccuracies. Don't ever trust that book. My friend Pat read the Da Vinci Code. He thinks Christianity is one big conspiracy, that Tom Hanks is at the center. He's all, you know. <laughs> Susan, Susan, she was actually grew up in the church. She was welcome at church until she got divorced. And then she was shunned and kind of kicked to the curb and judged. See, unfortunately, the climate is such, guys, right now, the soil. The climate is such is that when people first find out you're a Christian, they get their guard up. They move from, like, open and relaxed to rigid and, and, and kind of like, because several things flash in their mind. First, they think, okay, Christian, he's self-righteous. He's going to be holier than thou. Are you going to judge? Are you going to preach at me? Or Christian, oh, here comes a narrow-minded. They believe in fairy tales and, like, you know, crazy miracle stuff. Or the biggest one right now is that, oh, you're a Christian? You're an evangelical? Okay, get ready. He's going to start pressing his right-wing politics on me. I'm going to get my guard up. Because here comes the thing, he's going to ask me about gay marriage or abortion and get ready for a debate with this guy. By the way, if you're on an airplane, this is how you shut down a conversation. You tell people you are a born-again Baptist evangelist, okay? You're just like, <laughs> when I sit next to people and I have a convo with them, man, you know, it's like, you know, now they go like, hey, where are you from? Where are you going? What do you do? If I want to keep the conversation going, I say, oh, I'm a motivational speaker. Uh, and they're like, oh, okay. If I want to shut it down, I'm like, I'm an evangelical preacher, okay? And they usually turn their head, they put the window shade down, they're like, I'm not even going to, just pretend they're asleep, man. You shut it down. And here's the deal. That hurts. That's why there's hostility. Because when you get judged as a Christian by a non-Christian, it, 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 right, it stings. It leaves a bruise, right? People get all defensive. I had one person say, I can't believe it. My roommate, my roommate judges me for being a Christian. My pot-smoking New Age roommate is looking down his nose at me. So I, I just told him, I said, well, you know what? you got to have a reason to believe. And I started gauging him in a debate about da, 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 da. it never works, okay? In any normal friendship, trust develops over time. And Jesus models how to do this. What I put in your notes today are several habits that build kingdom trust. First, notice that Jesus always entered their world, their backyard. He hopped the fence. Matthew 9 um, describes how Jesus was an expert. He, he had a habit. His habit was he liked to eat out. And when he ate out, he had dinner with sinners, okay? Look at Matthew 9. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors, so shysters, people, no integrity, totally screwing others over. Shysters and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, hey, why does your teacher eat with the shysters and the sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I haven't come to call the righteous, but who? Say this together. Sinners. Here's the truth. Jesus liked to hang out with sinful people, with non-Christians. He didn't call a little holy huddle to the disciples and say, let's go all hang out in the synagogue. He said, let's have dinner with sinners, okay? And it shocked, it was shocked religious conservatives because they're like, why, why would you do that? And he's like, because I didn't come for the healthy, but the sick people. I love sinners, and sinners love Jesus. You know why? Because he never judged them. He genuinely loved and valued them. He entered their world to learn what they were struggling with. So here's my question. Do you ever go over to your neighbor's backyard? 
Do you go to their Super Bowl party (laughs) or their barbecue? What about Little League? What about the movies or book clubs? The possibilities are endless. See, guys, the secret is this. The most fruitful conversations you will have with people most often happen outside of this church. When you're driving in the car together, when you're working on a backyard project, when you're sitting at the Yankee game. I'm sitting at the Yankee game yesterday with his friends, and the Yankees, talk about suck, the Yankees are awful right now. The whole kingdom is just like imploding. It's just like one nothing, three hitter, and I'm just like, this is awful, man. A-Rod is the devil. And I was like, (laughs) so we start (laughs) talking. Tell me about the end times. No, it's not. (laughs) Jesus' three favorite words were come and see. Maybe yours are, hey, come and eat. Come on over. Let's go out. Let's go to the concert. I'm having a barbecue, dinner with sinners. And you know what? Jesus never judged non-Christians. Look at this. He only judged those who professed to follow the scriptures but actually led hypocritical lives. And we get this so wrong in our world. Somewhere along the line, we bought the lie that it's our job as Christians to judge non-Christians. Wrong. It's the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. In 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul says, Hey, um, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. In other words, mind your own business, okay? The starting point of evangelism is not for you to kind of sniff out people's sin and tell them where they're going wrong. You know, I think, I think you've got some things to work on in your marriage. Would you like to invite my biblical insight? No. <laughs> Jesus had compassion for hurting people. The woman caught in adultery, he's like, actually, you know what? I don't condemn you. And those of you who are without sin, why don't you take the first throw? Go ahead. Mm, that's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> Scripture says we have no business judging non-Christians. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we have no judgment for you. In fact, I want to, if you felt judged by the church, I apologize. I really do. I, I'm truly sorry we messed this up so badly. And thank you for your grace. <laughs> grace simply means that you're giving forgiveness that people don't deserve. So you're giving grace to us. I thank you for that. I'm glad you're here. But what we're learning to do is not tear others down. We're learning to do what Jesus did, and that is to build bridges. See, it's one thing to accept people as they are. It's another to actually build a bridge and eat dinner with them. That's what Jesus did. He went to barbecues. He went to happy hours. (laughs) He didn't tell his disciples to meet him. Hey, hey, everybody, come on. Let's go meet at the synagogue. (laughs) He goes, I'm going down to the docks. I'm going to walk along the beach. Yeah, you go on the beach this summer. He got into boats with people. He said, hey, let's go fishing together. He shared his heart and he shared their hurts. And all that stuff builds trust. Because when you let down your hair with others, they start seeing maybe all Christians aren't weird and wacky. Most are actually quite normal and actually like to laugh and enjoy good food like the rest of us. That's how you build trust. Remember this, guys. For most non-Christians, it's a slow process to actually trusting a Christian for the first time. Uh, I think right now of my gay uh, hairstylist, Steve. I've been going to him for over 10 years, and for the first five, we rarely talked about religion. Uh, he wouldn't even acknowledge that he was gay, right? And like, because he's like, oh, I think Tim's a religious pastor dude. Now that, though it was like obvious to everyone, so he'd talk about his partner. I was like, oh, your business partner? And I was like, uh, no, awkward. Just, you know, cutting hair. <laughs> because he'd been hurt, right? He'd been hurt because he's told he's going to hell, right? This is not the place to start. So we talk about, you know, movies, TV shows. He's like, you know, you watch Homeland, all that sort of stuff. But we talk about travel because he liked to travel in places. And we found a connection point in a strange place, Atlantic City, okay? Steve likes to gamble. And so he goes to the Borgata, right, in Atlantic City a lot. And he's telling me the story. And he's like, yes, yeah, so I was there last Saturday. He goes, and I won $2,000. 
And I'm like, holy, that's a, did, you, did you tithe on it? You know, I, I didn't say that. You know, I was like, what are you? Let's say, what's wrong with you? Because then he's like, no, he goes, no, you know, it's, it was on Saturday. He goes, but then I lost 3,000, you know, on Sunday. I was like, well, God's punishment, you know, you weren't in church. I don't say these things. I just said, oh, wow, what do you play? I said, what, what games do you play, you know? And I didn't give my position. Hey, Steve, did you know gambling is a sin? It's a poor stewardship of the resources the Lord has trusted you with. I don't say that stuff. I said, what do you play? And he's like, blackjack. And I was like, oh. And he started telling me how he does it. And, and he goes, he goes, if you ever go, he goes, you got to go to this um, restaurant, Old Homestead. It's a great steakhouse in the Borgata. So he's telling me all about this, and I like steak and all that. So anyway, I'm visiting, um, we're down in Ocean City with my family, got to take the kids on vacation. And it's not that far from Atlantic City. And Kyle's like, hey, we're going to go out to eat tonight. I'm on the boardwalk and everything. I was like, hey, why don't we go to Atlantic City? Crickets, you know, kind of thing. And like, for the kids? I was like, yeah, the Borgata, there's this, you know, place. So we're like, all right. And I was like, good, we're going to Atlantic City. Help, Jesus. And, uh, and so we go, to, we go, and we had a homestead. It is awesome. It is an amazing steakhouse. We had, like, the best. It was filet. It was incredible. We loved it. Great time. And so I go back and, uh, and go get my hair cut and everything. I was like, dude, old homestead was awesome. He goes, he's like, what? Did you go? I was like, yeah. He goes, what kind of pastor goes to a casino? I was, like, I was like, no, dude, it's not a big deal. He goes, you also like mob movies, right? And I was like, yeah, I do, you know. And so he starts asking me about this church, right, about liquid and everything. And he says, actually, he goes, I'm, I've been reading, like, religious books. I'm reading this book. Actually, it's by a, a preacher, kind of like you. He actually reminds me of you. His name is Joel Osteen. <laughs> Stepped over that one. And so I invited him to church. And you know what? Last fall, he came for the first time to this church to hear Michael Franzi share his testimony. And do you know why that was huge? Because it was the first time that my friend Steve ever trusted a Christian in his life. He crossed the first threshold and a seed was planted for the gospel. And guess what? He moved to Morristown. He said, I'm going to visit your church again this summer with my partner. Do not screw this up. All right? Don't act weird on me. I'm just telling you. All right? Don't don't rain on my little seeds. I'm doing stuff here. All right? Listen evangelism is natural. It really is. If you love non-Christians the way Jesus did. And with our time left, what I want to do is I want to model this for you live on stage. I kind of want to role play. So I got, you know, I got my backyard here. I got, you know, chips and salsa and drinks and a grill and all that. So I want to model this for you. I was going to call someone out of the crowd, but just in the interest of time, I asked the most hardcore pagan I know who I saw walking in today. Just, hey, can you come up on stage? We'll just kind of like do a little, little model. So this is the most backslidden uh, person I've ever oh, met. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know. Oh, yeah. What's up, Tommy? What's Good up, to see you, man? buddy. What's Good up, to dude? see you. Glad you're dude, here, dude. I love it. I love what you've done with the place. Yeah, I've, I've been seeding the lawn, as you can yeah, see there. Nice, have, nice. have a seat. What do you, what nice. Can I get you a drink? What do you want? Yeah, dude, I, I want a cold one. You got something, some drink? I got, uh, got? sorry, I got lemonade. I got, uh, lemonade, I got huh? all natural Snapple, and then uh, I got the hard stuff. I don't yeah, know yeah, what you're... Yeah, uh, right here, right here. That's good. Surprise, surprise. Hey, you got a, you got an opener or something? You got you, right. you got to go to the gym, dude. Yeah. Come on. This is right. like, uh, you gotta, uh, okay. Uh, what are you doing? I, you know, I, oh, someone okay. in my church gave me these, like, flip-flops. They wow. kind of, what? No. it's got like, uh, thanks, buddy. Hey, cheers. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Cheers, buddy. Yeah. There you go. So what's, what's, <laughs> Woo. yeah. So, uh, you and Erica going on a vacation? 
Nah, man. Uh, actually, dude, it's it's kind of I'm a wreck this week, dude. I mean, my mom, she's like in and out of the hospital. She's got dementia, so we're like looking oh, at dude, that's assisted living. And stuff. Oh, yeah, gosh, it's, okay. it's just uh, it's been a cruddy week. I had the whole thing, you know, thing. My dad, he's um, 14 years in now. His cancer is lymphoma. Mm. He actually so this. His latest thing is they so he's done chemo three times, can't do it anymore, the kind of radiation part. So yeah. he takes oral chemo, it's like clinical trial. Uh-huh. So my mom calls me on Wednesday and she's freaking out because my dad, she takes him into the um, bathroom to brush his teeth. He couldn't remember how to brush his teeth. Because oh, the the like the chemo pills like it makes the cancer recede, but now he has these severe memory impairment with it. Oh my god. And she was just like freaking out. She was like, you know, going Dude. similar thing, right? Yeah, like, I'm sorry, man. Well but, but hey, here's the thing. You're a pastor, right? You got a like a hotline to God or something like that. I mean, thank God for that, right? Yeah, not exactly. So, <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, honestly, you know what? It was, it was one of those things where I'm like, I think you and I are both like at that stage where it's like we're sandwiched on both sides. Totally. You've got like the young kids, and you got like the aging parents, oh, and, and all that. What's well, you know, like my dad? God doesn't owe us anything. Like he's had cancer 14 years, and mm-hmm. God's you know sustained him. But yeah. I think we're like at the point now where it's like if he. We know God can heal my father, right? Sure. But I, I feel like, um, you know, whether or not he heals him in this life, like, we, we really have hope that, like, our faith in Christ is bigger than cancer. That's, like, the theme we've been our, of our family for the last, you know, 14 years. It's Christ, like, are you talking about, like, Jesus or something? Yeah. That, that's part <laughs> yes, that's part of our, yeah, why? Oh, uh, well, no, I just, I, no, I mean, I respect the guy and everything, but Jesus, I mean, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not really into that. What, what, why not? What's wrong with Jesus? What's your objections? Well, I'm Jewish. <laughs> really? You didn't know? Yes, Korean Jewish. I, I... Yeah. I so, live uh... 15 minutes away in Rivingstein by the mall. You don't... You don't... Oh, my gosh. You want to throw a few curveballs here, huh? That's just... Uh... Okay. Rivingstein. Rivingstein right. Mall. Well, Jesus was Jewish, so that's a good. That's a good set. No, I, I, I think I, most people like don't even have. You know, I think that most people think Jesus was like a nice guy and like, oh, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just not into that. No, just... Well, that, that's the thing. We're not like into it in the sense of like, so it's magic potion. I honestly, I don't know how this is going to go, my dad. Hmm. But I'll tell you what happened on Wednesday. So I'm talking to mom, and she is really freaking out. She was hyperventilating on the phone. I'm Shit. almost more concerned for her than my dad. And uh, I'm like, Mom, let me just pray for you right now that Jesus can be present and calm your heart. Mm-hmm. And so I'm praying with her and everything. I'm, I'm like, Lord, help me because I don't, you know, it wasn't me talking her off the ledge. But it's funny, by the time we prayed together, there was like this peace hmm. that settled down all of her fear. Hmm. And it's a day-to-day thing. It's not like a magic, you know, pill. But it really, you know, helped my mom. That's pretty interesting, man. I, yeah. All right, I kind of get that. Just stop, just stop here for a minute. Do you see what's happening here? Tom's my friend, <laughs> and because I'm just openly sharing my life with him, he's openly sharing his life with me. It's not... <laughs> Mazel tov. <laughs> 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 All right, let's just pray, you know, this, this is like, this isn't how I was expected. <laughs> But it's, but it's true, and people are more ready to talk about the real Jesus than you think. So here's my question for you, actually. Does your life actually provoke questions about Christ? In other words, does Jesus make any difference in your day-to-day life? Or is evangelism this thing like, oh, i got to tell people about the cross? 
Or did, what did Jesus do this Wednesday? And do you actually share the God story that God's working in your life right now? Because that's the main thing I simply do with folks. Like, what difference is God making right now? And you know what? Non-Christian people are, they're like, does this thing work in the real world? And they feel like, you know what? If, if you tell me a story where you, Jesus really showed up, they, they move from complacent to curious. They start asking questions. They say, Jesus was not just a polite guy. He was a revolutionary. He's a, yeah, you know what? They are interested in questions about the real Jesus. It was interesting. I was talking to a reporter on Tuesday who's covering our Mountainside Campus launch. They're writing an article for the Star-Ledger, a church that gets born again, all that. We're on target to launch this fall. Very exciting. And we're walking through um, the facility this week, and he goes, uh, so Pastor Lucas, respectfully, he said, uh, you know, I'm not that interested in religion. I said, why not? He goes, well, it's kind of like you got, you know, you got that whole church is, uh, or a, you know, don't, not a guilt trip. He said, um, I went to a funeral of my grandmother last month, and um, I, I hadn't been to church in years. Walked into the funeral, and the pastor said, we're very fortunate this woman attended Mass every Sunday, but some of you are not. And because you are not attending Mass, you don't get to go where she's going. So let's have this be a wake-up call. And that, he said, he goes, I am just like totally shut down towards religion, but I'm very interested in Jesus. And I said, why? why is, tell me about that. He says, well, it just seems like Jesus was always talking actually about the poor and not judging people and peace and serving the poor, giving your life away. And I'm actually very interested in that. And you know what? Most non-Christians are. They want to know why a Christian would move into the slums to serve the urban poor. They want to know about Christians who fly across the globe to bring clean water to, to, to people, you know, who have Actually, none. yeah, yeah, yeah. Aren't you going to Nicaragua or something like that in the yes, spring we're, or we're something? Going what, to is Nicaragua. there like a Sandals All-Inclusive Resort or something like that? What's, <laughs> what's that about? Yes, it's Sandals. What's going on there? <laughs> you are a tool. I could do that. <laughs> hilarious. Shalom. Shalom. <laughs> Yes, we are, no, we are going to, uh, we're digging clean water wells for the poor, of the okay. poor, because Jesus did it for us, right? <laughs> Does your, do, you, do you live a life that provokes questions about the real Jesus? Hey, why are you using your vacation to mentor kids at an arts and music camp? Why would you do that? It's because Jesus loves kids and I want to invest in the next generation. Hey, why did you adopt children, you have your own kids, and you, you know, because God is pro-adoption. I've been adopted in his family, and I believe he sets the lonely in families, and, and that's part of the gospel on, on earth. The real Jesus didn't fit neatly into boxes, and neither should you. What do your coworkers think of your faith? Do, what, do, do they, do, when they, are you just a polite Christian who lives a safe, you know, little life, you got an hour on Sunday, but there's no risk, there's no adventure living out in the real world? Good stories naturally create curiosity and point people to Jesus. Tom, honestly, I do believe that Christ is greater than, than the cancer, my dad's cancer, and your mother-in-law's dementia. When I prayed for, for um, you know, my mom, it made a real-time difference on Wednesday. It really did. Like, she, it settled her heart. In fact, I, I could pray for your mom. Well, dude, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I know your dad. I mean, he is a stand-up guy. There's no way that uh, he's going to the hot place. He is definitely going to heaven i get that well it's not that's the thing it's not about being a good person it's about trusting god mm. that that the reason jesus came is because i actually don't have a lot of good in me mm. and so he takes the bad he takes it on on the cross and he dies and he gives me his holy spirit i have a new spirit at work in me mm. and god works through that 
And I, it, it happened with my mom on Wednesday. And I, like I said, I'm happy to pray for your, I'll definitely pray for you. I can pray for you right now. Sure. I, I guess I got to put this down, right? Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All, right. All right. God, thanks for, uh, thanks for my friend Tom. I'm just grateful, Lord, that he actually really cares about his mom. And um, I think of him and Erica and the three girls they have and all the pressures that they feel with that, and then now their parents on top of it. God, would you just expand his heart? Just I pray right now that he would experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, that you'd give him extra capacity, Lord, this summer to make wise choices. God, this, this, these are very unclear decisions we have to make, and we lack wisdom. So I just ask you, would you, in your infinite wisdom, pour that into my buddy Tom and Erica, Lord, bring clarity to his mother's mind, my father as well. And we just hold them in your presence. And I ask the seeds that you planted to continue to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Shalom. Shalom. Yes, amen. Um, was that weird? I, I don't want to be nah, like, it's, weird it's preachy right. or nah, anything but, like that. Dude, you know what? I want to take a little dip in the pool, if you don't mind. So. Okay. Gonna, <laughs> That's okay. Hey, yeah. if I could just uh, borrow some of these, that'd be great. All right. <laughs> yeah, we'll okay. Can you thank Tom for popping over? It's always nice when Tom visits. You would be surprised how open people are to having you pray for them. Even non-Christians experience that as a sign of sincere care and compassion. And they're like, yeah, that, that'd be great. And that's one of my biggest things I do. I'm like, I'll pray for anybody, anytime. So let me close with a final story and then give you a challenge for tomorrow, Monday morning. On Tuesday, I had an Indian friend visit my office. His name is Janu. And he and his wife, Anne, have been um, trying to conceive... Uh, for years, they were ecstatic when they found Anne learned she was pregnant seven months ago, but there was a problem with the fetus. The baby has severe hydrocephalitis. It's uh, water on the brain, multiple holes in its heart. And uh, the doctor said if the baby's born, it will severe retardation. Um, so the consensus, multiple doctors, they recommended they, they abort. And right, I mean, you know, I don't think anybody would... would you, you don't judge people for making these personal decisions that are wrenching, that are anguishing. But they said, you know what, actually, Tim, what we decided is that God really is our creator and he's the giver of life, so he, only he has the power to take it away. And so we've decided to actually have the baby and, um, and we were naming him Joshua, which means be strong and courageous. And I said, you know, um, he sat on my couch and he said, Tim, we believe that God knit Joshua together in his mother's womb and he does have the power to heal him. But even if Jesus doesn't choose to do that, we believe Christ can give us the strength and the courage to raise a severely handicapped child. And so he was there because they were saying goodbye because they're moving down to CHOP, Children's Hospital, Pennsylvania, right, for 12 weeks so that they can be there for the delivery because the child will go immediately into NICU for, for, for months. That was their decision based on their faith in Christ. Do you think that that story is going to elicit some questions at shop. That's a couple I want to learn from. It's a couple I want to lean into. It's a couple who is trusting Jesus in a very profound way that I guarantee you all the doctors and the oncologists, all the, all the people, you can pray for them in Joshua's birth. But it challenged me because I'm like, Lord, increase my faith. Does your faith naturally provoke questions about Christ? Do you have a God story to tell? Because, guys, Christianity doesn't need better evangelists. It needs Christians living better stories with their everyday lives, scattering seeds, building trust, creating curiosity. So here's your challenge Monday morning. I want you to think about the person God put on your heart this summer. Tom had you write their name down last week. 
Have you prayed for them? Pray for them this week. Begin thinking, are they moving from distrust to trust, complacency to curiosity? Start with those two thresholds. If you don't know, ask them questions. Go out to dinner. You're going to see them. Go to the pool. You're going to see them down the shore. Have them over. And your job is very simple. Would you be willing to plant some seeds this summer? Don't force it. Don't fake it. Keep it organic. Keep it natural. God is already at work in their life. Your job is just to scatter seeds and trust the Holy Spirit for growth. We are partnering with the Holy Spirit to be good news to those we're already in relationship with. Amen? That's what we're going to look at next week. I'm going to introduce you on stage to my friend, Lindsay. She's amazing. She's the most natural evangelist I know. Most of it happens in Starbucks. She has some amazing uh, stories to share. And um, what I want to do right now is all our campuses, I want to pray for those, that name of that person who you are planting a seed with this summer. So would you bow your heads, all our campuses, as we commit these names to God? Father, we're grateful for your grace and your mercy. God, I'm uh, humbled right now just to even think in my own life about the people who were faithful to love me, to accept me, to actually be bold and talk about Jesus. I thank you for the young men who were in their 20s when I was younger, and I looked up to them, and I saw they weren't wackadoodles, and they actually weren't, um, they weren't lukewarm either. They had a genuine, sincere fire and love for you, God. And I pray that you'd raise up more and more people right now in this congregation, that this, we would open our eyes, God. Would you open our eyes? We want to see these opportunities to plant seeds this summer, whether it's on the beach, at a barbecue, the pool, the reunion. God, give us the faith. Whisper to us in our ears. God is by your Holy Spirit. We don't need perfect words. You'll teach us what to say. But Father, we will plant these and trust you completely with the growth. I pray for a great harvest, God. I pray for Steve. I pray for all the names of the people right now at our campuses who we love. We know they're close to your heart as well. And we ask that you would bring them to Christ. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com. Or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.